This is a Crow's Nest podcast. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Damsels Who Discuss. I'm Gally. I'm Alexia, and as I started talking, my dog just poked his nose out of the closet to look at me. He's like, so cute. Oh, and that's Leto. <laughs> and that's Leto. He might say something later on. He might not. We'll find out. It's a mystery. Dogs are a mystery. Yeah, they really are. You know what else is a mystery? This entire fucking movie, which was also one of the worst movies I've ever seen. <laughs> well, this will be this will be a fun one to discuss because there's a lot of um, interesting controversy Guys. behind the movie. Gally has been promising me this controversy talk and is legit the only reason that I finished watching the movie. This isn't a joke. I I think that, you know, obviously I'm very hyperbolic and I exaggerate for humor, but this is not a joke. I was messaging Gally while I was watching The Black Cauldron and she was like, you do not have to finish this movie. Like you legitimately don't have to do it. It was bad, (laughs) y'all. I was like, I can't, I'm dying. I'm being sucked into the cauldron. I feel it. I mean, I guess that means, wait, are you evil or does that mean you don't have any friends? Yes. Ah. Yeah, I guess as an undead, you would just get sucked into the cauldron, wouldn't you? This is a yeah. this is a problem. Oh, man. Jeez, this movie. Oh, my God. Well, <sighs> I guess with uh, without further ado, because we are clearly damsels uh, in dismay. <laughs> this film you want me to you want me to get into the summary (laughs) yes please tell us about uh, walt disney's 1985 animated classic the black cauldron classic in the sense that it's old not classic in the sense that it's beloved yeah classic in the sense that disney was like this is a classic deal with it (laughs) yeah even we'll, we'll get into it but even they didn't seem to want to acknowledge this movie for a long time no uh Local pig farming assistant immediately fails at their job when their magic pig gets captured by evil Lich King with a penchant for chewing scenery. Pig boy, named Taran, attempts to save his pig, only to immediately be captured and thrown into the dungeon where he immediately escapes thanks to a manic pixie dream princess, Elanui. The two manage to make their way out of the castle, picking up the oldest bar, uh, the... Fluderflam, 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 Fluderflam on their way out. The three have a short adventure where they discover that the magic pig magically made her way to a fairy folk village before the plot point is discarded and they can focus on the title of this film, The Black Cauldron. The cauldron is found easily, immediately captured by the evil king who uses it to raise an army of the dead, like you do. Totally. Our unlikely heroes must make their way back to the castle to save the day. Uh, they also ta- talk. Eh, wow. They also tack on a weird talking creature named Gurgi, who is the Ugh. real hero of the film, but also the, the most annoying, sci- annoying sidekick ever. He is so annoying, I cannot get through that sentence. It's just uh, the worst. He is the worst. He is the worst. Anyway, absolute worst. Gergi kills himself to save humanity by sacrificing himself to the Black Cauldron before the king's army even makes it across the castle moat. 
Not a tear was shed for Gurgi, except from Taryn, who for some reason loves that monkey dog with a speech impediment. He's the only one, I think, who who loved and cried for Gurgi. This was not a Tinkerbell moment. No, nobody actually cared. No. The cauldron does what it does best and sucks up any undead evil around the area, which also happened to include the Lich King. So that was pretty convenient because there was no actual battle. No, it's true. Uh, Even though the movie could end there and we'd have a happy ending, Disney couldn't allow the death of a potentially cute and money-making character, so Taran wishes for the miracle none of us wanted and Gurgi gets resurrected. Then the movie ends. Yeah. Oh, and the pig got home safe. Yeah. (laughs) Like, that that was kind of a weirdly disjointed summary of this movie. But it was the plot. <laughs> I think I was saying to Cliff yesterday that the plot of this movie reminds me of the Canterbury Tales. In that, like, people just kind of show up and join the journey with no explanation or vetting or reason. And they're just, like, part of the th- part of the vibe and uh yeah it all doesn't really make any sense at all the next segment is it is and then the next segment is it is as well and then the movie ends yeah and i think that's a really so before we get into the actual like rundown of this movie um i think that's a really good point about how characters just kind of show up and do stuff uh and there's so many characters that just show up it's like a shakespearean play literally like it's like Macbeth. He just runs into people for a scene and then they're gone. It's very that, but not in a creative and fun and funny way. Yeah. And so this movie was based on the first two books of a five-volume book book series, which I feel like is part of the problem, is the fact that they didn't even base it on the full series of books. Um, but these books are called The Chronicles of Pridane. And they're by Lloyd Alexander. And of course, these were based on Welsh Welsh mythology because everything sounds fucking Welsh in this movie. I mean, Fluter Flam should have been a um, dead giveaway. Yeah, there are... Um, when you have two Fs in your name, that's a, that's a good sign that you're Welsh. <laughs> One right after the other. But they... It's a weird jingle. It is a real jingle. Disney made a ton of changes from the book to the movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I was counting all of the differences between the movie and the books, I, my eyes started rolling into the back of my head because it was over like 20 different changes. So like significant changes, significant changes. Oh, wow. So a lot of, a lot of it was um, consolidating characters. So there could have been a lot more characters in this. Canterbury Tales. Canterbury Tales. Um, Which and I don't even was... like, by the way. I just bring it up because it's the example I've got. Yeah. And and there were like also like kind of some weird other other changes in here. Like, um, mm-hmm. for example, uh, Ilanwi has this little bobble. Um, yeah. That also kind of vanishes halfway through. Yeah. Has no point, basically. It yeah. Has a, yeah. Apparently in the books, this was uh, more like an orb of gold that she had to carry around instead of just like a floating Zelda style fairy. Just carrying around a bed knob for no reason. I mean, actually, now that you've said that, I hope so. (laughs) 
I, I don't I don't know, but I hope I hope it's a bed knob. That's very um, inconvenient. I feel like yeah. there's some myth, or maybe I'm mixing it up, that does involve like a maiden given an or, like a ball of gold. Am I losing my mind? I I believe that there must be a myth about that, but I like off the top of my head, I definitely don't remember it. But if you can find whatever that myth is of a maiden carrying an orb of gold, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Well, then I think it's time for us to create that myth. A magical princess who carries an orb of gold. Hang on. <laughs> You're looking it up. Mm, here we go. Legend <laughs> has it that back in the fourth century, a certain gentleman, the Bishop of Maya, the real Saint Nicholas, gave three balls of gold to three poverty stricken maidens who had no wealth for dowries. What? Like, to, to sell? To, to According- hold on to? Here, this is all the rest of the paragraph says according to the legend saint nicholas threw the balls of gold through the maiden's windows in the dead of night because that's not terrifying at all um one conveniently landed in a stocking hanging above the fire to dry so an orange in your stocking is representative of those balls of gold well that's interesting to learn the background behind an orange in your stocking but also it's nice to hear that um saint nick used to be a uh a a much more of a vandal yeah yeah like, that's the funny it's not like it this would have made way more sense if they were like he threw it down the chimney it's like no he just like chucked it through their window just at, well, can you imagine just no. like sitting by sitting by your fire as just a single single woman just reading a book or working on some type of uh, knitting or crochet, whatever. Or fucking woman's sleeping because like it said in the dead of night. Oh, so sleeping. just you know, being asleep. Then suddenly, without warning, this thing crashes through your window, and you yeah. just hear, "You're welcome, you poor bitch." I mean, it's like, thank you for the gesture, but I wonder how much it costs to replace the window. Is it that entire ball of gold? Right. What. Did he, I, I guess the legend doesn't say anything about what he did for, like, women that he didn't like. Like, <laughs> Is that where the coal a, comes from? He just threw coal like, through their window. <laughs> coal or a brick or something like that. <laughs> big blocks of coal so that they're as big as bricks, but not identifiable. <laughs> Don't tie a note to them. That's crazy. That is crazy. Well, anyway... So, ba- so getting back to uh, the Black Cauldron, um, we this, have to. <laughs> we do, well, I do have kind of a string of firsts. This, hmm. this movie had a lot of firsts in it, which is kind of Ooh, I only know one. What's the one that you know? First Disney film to use CGI. Yes. Yeah, it is. It's the first Disney film uh, to really use CGI, um, which might have also led to its... Uh, high budget this movie had a budget a reported budget of 44 million which for 1985 yeah that's insane that's a crazy amount of money uh at that time it was the most most expensive animated film ever made i believe that um this (laughs) this is also the first movie uh disney movie 
to use the Walt Disney Pictures logo in the opening credits and not really? end with Walt Disney Productions or with a the end title card. Do they make any notes on why that change happened or just that it did? So I think something something else that kind of adds to this movie history is um and I don't have the knowledge or want to really get into the background of it, but mm-hmm. at this time we are going through a transition period with Disney. Okay. Uh, there's a new CEO, Michael Eisner, mm-hmm. uh, and there's a new um, uh, Jeffrey Katzenberger has joined the team. Jeffrey or Katzenberg. Katzenberg. I don't know why I keep calling him Katzenberger. Um, but he he also joined. So I think that there were a lot of changes mm-hmm. going on with their production and that kind of added to this. And if yeah, and if you are, uh, if those names sound slightly familiar to you, but you don't know who they are, Michael Eisner was really the driving force behind the Disney Renaissance that we'll talk about. So the, a lot of the movies that we actually like remember and loved in the late '80s and and the '90s, mm-hmm. um, he also really pushed for uh, changes at the uh, Disney theme parks. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of a big man there. Uh, terrible guy terrible human being oh yeah (laughs) no surprise there jeffrey katzenberg has also been um behind a lot of uh i would say very very important things in disney i mean he he produced like the little mermaid for example yes he did Uh, he (laughs) more recently uh was also behind the short-lived and hopefully completely destroyed uh quibi network are you familiar with quibi it's it's really funny is that quibi once in a while just like becomes part of a conversation and it feels like quibi was both last week and 27 years ago yeah so for those who might not know what quibi is this was a uh short-lived and terrible idea to create a streaming service where all of the video content is specifically designed to watch on your phone and be last and each episode be less than 10 minutes in length Mm -hmm. so everything was it's like watching tiktok videos right it was pitched as kind of like commuter friendly or like break friendly i don't know how they were actually describing it but something kind of like that yeah um the some other firsts for the black cauldron uh this is the first disney animated film to receive a pg rating um and it is said that had there not been uh, as many cuts to the film, the Black Cauldron actually probably would have been rated PG-13 or R. Interesting. Yeah. PG-13 so, makes sense to me. R is a little bit like, what the hell were you planning on including in this film? That's, yeah, the R rating to me seems like kind of a hard, <laughs> a, a hard thing because the this movie had to have a ton of cuts to it um i think there were around 15 minutes of the movie that were actually cut out uh Mm -hmm. and all of it really had to do with um violence (laughs) Hmm. like they basically found this movie to have way too many violent scenes um and Katzenberg was afraid that uh because of the film's graphic nature it would alienate children and family audiences Okay. So he he ordered cuts. Those cuts were uh contested by 
the animators. So he said, fuck it, I'll do it. I'll do it myself. And Jeffrey Katzenberg himself went in and cut things out of the movie. Um, to which cool. Michael Eisner was trying to tell him to stop. And Katzenberg was like, fuck you. I'm going to rework this entire film. Okay. Like, you can do that, I guess. But it's just, it ends up being so unfathomably disjointed and weird. It really does. It's just weird. Like I said, I mean, I keep bringing up the Canterbury Tales, but it's sort of like, just think about normally characters when you meet them in some sort of capacity, kind of like, I don't know. There's some sort of... (laughs) background to it or explanation as to why they're here blah 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 but you should care (laughs) exactly but none of that happens here and you might be thinking oh that's kind of convenient it's not because it gives you no indication as to why you should give a damn about this at all yeah and and frankly i don't think that anyone does because this movie was also (sighs) um a box office failure (laughs) Um, what a shock what a shock what a shock um it's it's i think it's actually considered one of the least successful disney animated films that's fine it's one of the worst yeah and as a result uh it was delayed from being released on vhs um (laughs) until i want to say 1998 or something like that Wow, that's a really yeah. long time. Ninety-eight, and the only reason was due it was released was due to fan demand. That's actually the thing I find surprising. People were like, "I want this." Dude, something else you might find surprising is oh, um, that the movie that beat this film at the box office was the Care Bears movie. <laughs> um, the no, it the wasn't. Re- Yes, uh, yeah, the Care Bears oh movie. Oh my gosh, I love it. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to rattle off just a couple of additional like technical firsts for this movie that are just kind of interesting, but not that interesting. Yeah, um, okay. First full-length animated motion picture to be recorded and presented in 70 millimeter six-track Dolby stereo sound, and also the last motion picture uh, to be filmed in super... Technorama 70 widescreen 70 millimeter film so film nerds and sound nerds out there I'm sure that was really fascinating to you uh that's cool though it's pretty cool first and last Mm -hmm. um first Disney animated feature film to have closing credits since Alice in Wonderland hmm something that I kind of like actually I I hope you noticed that when you got to the end of the movie and you're like there's still a ton of time left thank god this isn't movie I was feeling that way. <laughs> yeah, I was very excited about that. Uh, this is the first um, Disney movie where the sound editors just started recording sound effects uh, for the film itself. So in the past, mm-hmm. and even up to The Fox and the Hound, uh, a lot of the sound effects that we heard were kind of reused. Um, they were called their classic sound effects. Like Think of like the... Um, uh, the goofy yell, <laughs> like the that Wilhelm type of stuff. Scream. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or very so, commonly used, like stock bird chirping sounds, which we now recognize kind of ubiquitously. Yeah. So uh, Black Cauldron was the first film where they were like, no, 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 no. We're going to make everything custom. Um, and, and it really shows. Really worth it, right? They really, really spent their yeah. time well. This is this is the first Disney film to use a technique called APT, which is the animation photo transfer process. Uh, which uses a process to transfer animated roughs onto acetate cells. Um, it was used partially for the Black Cauldron and then continued to be used on the Great Mouse Detective, Oliver and Company, and the Little Mermaid, basically until computers made this process completely obsolete. What is this process for people like me who don't know what it is? So I'm honestly a little confused about how it okay. fully works, but I believe what it is is they, they take like the... Um, hand-drawn animation uh roughs so they're not like they probably their line art is probably closer to like the aristocats where it's a little bit sketchy um take a photo of that uh and then print that photo um onto uh clear uh plastic cells like the type of animation cells that we would typically um associate with hand-drawn animation Hmm. so I think that this is a little bit of both a um, uh, a time-saving effort, um, and I think that we can really visibly see it uh, with the CGI scenes. Like, when we see those scenes where there's, like, clouds in the background and mm-hmm. the animation just looks a little off, like there's kind of an extra line around it, um, I suspect that's because of this process. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Okay. Uh, I, I swear, I only have one last first for this film. This is the first film that Tim Burton has a concept art credit for. Um, though he did work on The Fox and the Hound previously, he had no credits for that. And hmm. shortly after, Tim Burton would leave Disney to become a filmmaker in his own right, and then obviously return for The Nightmare Before Christmas. Which we need to give way more credit to Henry Selick for. Yes, that is truly a Henry Selick film. Um we can talk about that later. Yeah, yeah. I think we should eventually watch that. I'd like to. I mean, I, it's it's still animation. Yeah, I think that should be a special edition. And I have, I'm pitching this just out loud in general. At some point, maybe during the summer, I want us to do the Twilight movies. Okay. They're not Disney but it's so codified in like meme culture for our generation at this point that it's almost ubiquitous in my life. So it was like, I haven't revisited those. I've actually rewatched them recently with like, um, riff tracks, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I haven't actually like tried watching it about notes. So I think that'd be really funny, but Uh, I, I watched, um, I I've only watched the twilight movies with riff tracks too. (laughs) uh except i did listen to the first like i watched the first twilight movie with Mm -hmm. robert pattinson's commentary i bet that's good it was it was entertaining because robert pattinson hates the twilight movies as much as you know everyone (laughs) yeah so him him just being like why did they do that why was why was this decision made you were in the movie sir (laughs) you tell me yeah well you ready to actually talk about this movie Oh, I I think I am. I think um, wh- I I will leave with two 
two last factoids before we get into this, just to kind of set the stage. Um, there was uh, a huge amount of conflict between the animators and what they wanted to do with this movie and what corporate wanted to do with this movie. Oh, I bet. Uh, and obviously that led to conflicts. Jeffrey Katzenberg led to conflicts. Um, and I think that we can all agree that this movie that still has a 57% on Rotten Tomatoes as of today <laughs> is terrible. It's just not. It's boring. It's boring is what I think that it is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't have extra commentary for that. Yeah. All right. Well, wonderful episode, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye. <laughs> yeah. Um I I I was very bored <laughs> by the opening, but it did kind of remind me of like uh do you remember the old Lord of the Rings movies or the Hobbit? Really it was just the animated ones. ones? Yeah. The rotoscopes. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. didn't see them, but I remember them. Wait, you didn't see them, but you... Oh, okay. Sorry. Like, I know they exist. Yeah. Um, it this it kind of had the same feeling to me in that it was kind of a boring visual scroll and then someone talking at me about what the plot of this movie is supposed to be. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. I, I, I do like those movies. They are very bad, but I like those movies. <laughs> I mean, I'm not mad at you for liking them. I've just never seen them. I... Oh, you know what? Actually, I'm so sorry. Did you ever see The Black Cauldron before? No. Today, as a kid? No. I didn't either. No, I've never... Yeah, never seen it. Yeah. So my, my question of what's your relationship to this movie as a kid? I, I don't have one. I, I, no, and I've avoided watching this movie because I've tried to watch it a couple times. And every time I've tried to watch it, I'm just kind of like, mm-mm. I'd get bored. Turn it off. I'm done. Yeah. Boring. I don't know how I avoided this movie as a kid. Because it it has all the elements that would be interesting to me. Sure. But it's not. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's just so badly done. Yeah. yeah. I was trying to think of something more creative to say than that. I'm like, I don't, there's nothing else to really say about it. It's just bad. It is. Um, Sorry. I do think I do think though what's kind of funny um, because I hadn't seen this movie before uh, I didn't exactly know what characters would or would not be important to the plot so I was just kind of sketching what I wanted to and I don't think I sketched any of the main characters I mean fair enough honestly because they're all boring yeah super boring but like we were saying, this this opening, we get the the main idea of the plot. We get the main idea of the Black Cauldron being this um, magical item that the Horned King really wants. Because why is yeah. there always one item that lets you rule the world? And every I just feel like that's such an annoyingly convenient. Um, fucking plot device. And not realistic, really. Like, there's only one thing that lets you rule the world, and that's money. 
True, but also like thinking about it as like the second that someone did invent something or like this is, you know, to use the classic example, the one ring to rule them all. It's like, you know, that someone out there would just find a way to commission and make something better. Like there is no way that there's just like one thing that's hanging around and everyone's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's no. I, I, I guess I kind of assume that it's for simplicity's sake. I know, but I just get hung up on that whenever they're like, there's this one thing. It's like just one. Yeah. No one else has figured out a way where they're kind of like, I think I figured this out. I I would love to see a movie where the villain is after this one unobtainable object. Um, and then when he gets it, he finds out that it is just completely useless. Will do nothing as, as though it was promised. And then he just gets destroyed. <laughs> I'm for that. Yeah. I think that'd be actually kind of funny, but I also tend to be a maverick and weird person. <laughs> um, so we kind of get that overview of the plot and then we very quickly switch gears, don't we? And we get to meet, well, we don't even get to meet Taryn yet. But we get to meet a cat with eyebrows that I really wish had been in this movie more. I need that cat with more screen time. Right? He was great. He was an impressive cat. Impressive little cat. Impressive little cat. And I guess he's owned by Dalvin. That does seem to be the um, the impression that I was getting. Yeah. And Dalvin has the same eyebrows as his cat, which is an interesting (laughs) interesting choice. They do say that, uh, what is it, what is it, um... Pets and owners end up uh, resembling themselves each other. Gee, why am I having trouble with this? <laughs> with words? Yeah, just with words in general. <sighs> because you're tired and exhausted and the movie's barely started. This movie is so boring. <laughs> well, so Dalbin is a pig farmer? Some Something. Um... And he owns a magic pig that Taryn, an assistant pig farmer. Who we have, by the way, speaking of like no context, we have no concept of why this kid is out there dealing with this dude. Why is this all happening? Like, how did it end up in his care? It's clear that Dalvin's not his father. yeah (laughs) i've already gotten stuck and i'm mad yeah taran exists taran 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 i don't know i haven't figured out either but again there's no context for how he ended up here by the way they live in in a cottage in the woods kind of like aurora in um fucking sleeping beauty there we go (laughs) and why how did they get and we we find out in a second that it's because there's as they call it, an oracular pig. But for simplicity, I just call it a magic pig. It is a magic pig. I do like the the term, an oracular pig. I do too. <laughs> but I like it as kind of like an insult. Like, oh, check out that guy over there. He's a real oracular pig, isn't he? It does kind of sound like an insult. Yeah. This, this pig has a name. This pig's name is Henwen. Which is a fascinating name. I think Henwen might be my favorite character in the movie. 
Henwin's got sass. I I liked Henwin quite a bit. Um, <laughs> yes. I think she, she was a great pig. <laughs> excellent pig with excellent judgment. Yes. But I, again, talking about why, who, who is this pig? Why are they magic? How did they end up in Dalvin's care? Right. And, um... Is Henwin also, like, eternal? How long has she been with Dalvin? Because this seems like a thing we're just supposed to, like, get. Yeah. Just, just, I, I have to wonder. Yeah, I have to wonder if, like, Jeffrey Katzenberg uh, got questions about the movie and his responses were always like, why do you care? Mm. Just figure it out. Like, I mean, on like we joke about it, but you said that he was doing a lot of just like rogue cutting without asking anybody what they thought, so it's entirely possible. Yeah. Um. Well, this pig has pig visions, which is another term that I really love. Yeah, I wrote down that they really need to be careful with these visions, uh, because she's going to drown in that water. Yeah, I'm so confused. Also, like how this works, they literally just kind of like go, "Hey, Henwin, give us a vision." Yeah, and they then can she just quest kind of, it. Yeah. And then the pig understands and and kind of closes her eyes and then puts her snoot in a very, like, a thin bowl of water. Yeah, like a shallow little pan. Yeah. But thin still. bowl of water, shallow pan. That's it. That's it. <laughs> Either way, but still, it's kind of like... Okay. Yeah, just cool. How often do you guys use these pig visions? <laughs> Well, it turns out not very often because um, Dalbin's like, excuse me, I never use it. And here's the other thing about like, we talked about tone shifts um, in Fox and the Hound. This isn't so much tone shifts so much as it's just like uh, scene shifts. It's almost like you're doing an improv thing and suddenly they're like, and you're in a barn or whatever the case may be. They're just going to yell something at you and you have to change what's happening because it goes from Taran being like, when will I ever grow up and leave the farm? To take this pig and go now, otherwise everyone is gonna die. Yeah. What? I, <laughs> there was so much sudden urge. Like I used the word immediately in my summary. I could have used that more because everything in this movie happens immediately. Nothing can ever happen in like five minutes. Everything happens right fucking now. Yeah. So Henwin uses her her vision mm-hmm. uh, to show that this evil king is looking for the black cauldron and somebody uses the phrase cauldron born to a lot a lot and cauldron like we're born, supposed to know what it means i know right apparently it means oh uh the cauldron will bring life to the undead they're considered cauldron born i think it sounds like the name of a goth club or a drink or both cauldron born as a cocktail that'd be a really cool witchy like halloweeny cocktail just like in a tiny cauldron it would and i think that it would be also be the kind of drink that just like lands you on your ass immediately simply based on the sound <laughs> yeah but but yeah apparently as with all evil things uh somehow when you use magic to to divine where somebody evil is that evil creature can key in on your vision figure out where you are and go after you and that's, that's like what... tracking a phone call yeah it's where is my iphone for visions <laughs> exactly I, yeah like you said like it's a sudden 
sudden shift because Every... we get to see him the horned king yeah and that's the th- everything just happens like and next scene and next scene and next scene and she's like oh my god everything is everything is moving yeah it, and taryn is completely on board i guess with there were there were no clear instructions where to take the pig, right? It was just get this pig out of here. It was just into the woods. Cool. Well, he within ten minutes he walks away from the farm with the magic pig, not on a leash or anything. Somehow no. daydreams, and then the pig is gone. Yeah, he daydreams for about mm, twelve seconds, and Henwin manages to not only get away a little bit, but get away like a lot. Wait, you're a bad pig farmer, a bad assistant pig farmer, Taryn. Super bad. And when and it turns out she hasn't just like gotten away and is like hanging out or whatever. No, she is being chased by I don't like, like a these... dragon. Yeah, and he somehow manages to lose a pig on a rope. Oh, and also I forgot already, because I hate it so much. This is where we meet Gurgi, because um Taran is looking for Henwin and he's like, ooh, Henwin, come get this apple. And then Gurgi fucking shows up and is like, it's for me, obviously. I as soon as Gurgi showed up on screen, Gurgi Gurgi's voice is the absolute worst thing in the world. Gurgi kind of talks like this. It's a worse stitch. Yeah, it is a really, it is a worse stitch. And Gurgi is like a Harry Dobby. So if you put together a bad stitch sounding voice with a Harry Dobby, you have a character that is horrible. It You can't understand it. Yeah, exactly. It's Donald Duck, but even even less decipherable. Yeah, I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, what, 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 what? Yeah. And and they have this, like, really weird interaction where Gurgi's just like, I see an apple. That apple's for me. Taryn really? is is not surprised at all about the talking monkey dog thing that's trying to grab No, that's apple. not bugging him at all. For some yeah. reason. It would be the thing that is bugging me the absolute most, let me tell you. No questions about what Gurgi is or anything like that. He's just a creature in the forest that I guess exists hanging out yeah he just, they don't even say what gurgi is and when i looked up what he no. was um i don't think he has like a species no i think it's just a thing it's just he's a gurgi yeah and like like his character design 100 percent looks like they made him to be sold as a stuffed animal hmm that's an interesting like, point yeah, like I kind of think so. In the newer Star Wars movies, we have the Porg, which yeah, I I yep. think that those characters were made one hundred percent just to sell as stuffed animals. Gurgi looks that way to me. Like this is this is such a how do we make a a cute fluffy character that isn't the pig? It's just interesting because it's, I always find it interesting what people think are going to be the big success. Mm-hmm. Like, apparently when they made Encanto, they thought that um, uh, Isabella was going to be the favorite character, the very feminine girl. And everyone was like, Luisa, bring me muscles. 
but you know, it's, it's, I find that interesting that they're like, yeah, this is what's going to be marketable because I thought he was awful. He was awful too. And the spoiler alert, not really because we mentioned it in the summary, but I cheered when he sacrificed himself. Uh, yeah. And I was also pretty happy when Tyron in this scene was like, get out of here. And he left. I was like, good. He's gone. Oh, my God. note says I already hate Gergi. Yeah, I, I, I hate, I hate Gergi so much. And I, and, and to make this character like even worse, they give him a self-deprecating complex where oh, he, he is nothing but pity. Like, oh, for okay. me. Gurgi will stop bothering you. Oh, nobody loves Gurgi. Gurgi doesn't have any friends. Yeah, no shit. You act like that. God. Are you familiar with what a squonk is? No. I have a feeling I'm about to be mad about it. Actually, I think you might find it pretty funny. Oh, Lord. Um, a squonk is a cryptid that um, is is the most pathetic cryptid ever like it looks like it looks like a pig that has uh incredibly loose skin um oh. and it it is extremely pathetic uh it gets its feelings hurt all the time and its defense mechanism is to cry like for it to flee it will turn into a puddle of tears that's what gurgi reminds me of gurgi reminds me of a furry squonk just yeah, um, yeah, he. It's it just I I find and like you said, until his sacrifice, nothing redeeming about his character. Like he has to get to that point for me to even think he's an interesting or useful character, because otherwise, it's just like. Ugh. It's just why why include him? Literally, that it doesn't make sense. I have a feeling that he was one of the things that was probably added specifically for the movie. And it reminds me, I was talking about Gopher in um in the Winnie the Pooh movie. This he <laughs> Gurgi reminds me of that kind of character where they're like, no one's heard of this weird IP. So to resonate with the kids, we're gonna put in this character that they're gonna think is cute, fun, and lovable. And it's like, way to miss the fucking marks. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you don't know children at all. No, and then also immediately we cut to, speaking of just everything's in a hurry, the next thing we have is Henwin literally running for her life. Um, and the next thing, here, what did I write? I said, this, this entire chase scene is just Henwin screaming, the dragon yelling, and then missing her over and over again for 90 seconds. That went on way too long. It went I, on way too long. I made a note that I thought that Maleficent was hungry and decided she need a, needed a little Henwen porky snack. Little ham. Little ham. Little ham. A little ham. But I'll give Taryn's character this, though, is that he tried really hard to save Henwen from the dragon. Like, he was, like, hanging on to their tails and their claws and then, sh- like, sprinting through fucking thorns and up a mountain without any breaks. It was like... All right, dude. Like, go get your fr- go get the one friend in the world you got. This pig. Uh, let's talk about location for that scene because um, he didn't go very far. Like, no. <laughs> but the evil castle is seemingly maybe a couple miles down the road from this farm. <laughs> he should have been able to see it. You'd think. Yeah. 
Um, we go inside and see all the Horn King's, like, minion people that are alive. They're just kind of, like, lazing about and lounging. And one guy decides to give a toast, and he just yells, Here's to everybody! And I think that's a great toast. I do think that's a great toast, and I encourage us all to use them whenever yes. you can. You're about to show me a doodle. I am about to show you a doodle, because um, this... So, when Taryn is sneaking in, and... This is another thing that was very confusing to me. The Horned King seemingly has a uh, a whole bunch of humans that are yeah serving him, and just then like this weird one, ruffians, just weird ruffians, and then like a goblin named Creeper. We're gonna right see quote unquote this character a lot. We're gonna see Fidget in the Great Mouse Detective <laughs> next, and Fidget is the exact character of creeper yeah goblins. that well not even it's just like a, a goblin that's all that's with a bent over stature that kind of talks out loud to themselves yeah it's the same character it's the same weird little henchman but show me your notes so, so what else we see is a uh very oh voluptuous yeah! belly dancer the belly dancer yeah who um, I, I just had to draw her because I froze frame on this and her face looks insane. But also, yes. she's wearing clothes, but she has a belly button that's visible. Well, There's I a think, lot of tits. <laughs> I think she is two things here. I think she's wearing her skirt, like, right on her hips. So, like, below her stomach. And two, she is wearing a very small top in the chest. Oh, yeah. Like, it's... It's more booby than I think, which I think we were talking about, oh, could could this have been an R rating? I have to wonder if that was the like ultra conservative MPAA definition of an R rating. I mean, that's entirely possible. But yeah, like this one woman is there. I don't think yeah. there were any other women. Besides Princess Alonwi? No. And like the fairy folk. Which, yes. Ooh, they were dwarves originally in the books. Interesting. Okay. Uh, the the revelry is cut short though because super dramatically, the Horn King shows up. But what there's two things I love about the Horn King and hate about the Horn King. Number one, when he appears, he makes like a TV tuning in sound, like an old school. Yeah. Which, if you're over a certain age, you will younger than a certain. I'm sorry, like born after a certain time period, you will not know what that sound is. Um, and number two, he every scene with him takes so long because they have him move so goddamn slow. And I think it's supposed to be like, look how imposing he is, but it really just kind of looks like he needs to soak in a warm bath. And for more than one reason, he needs to soak in a warm bath. He looks like a, a shriveled raisin and skeletor put together. He does and he does. But again, I'm just thinking like... He's moving so slow where you're kind of like, is he in pain? He, I, I, I had so many like issues with the Horn King too, just from an animation perspective, because um, they hide his mouth moving a lot. Intentionally, They're, it seems. Yeah, which was kind of like, I don't really understand why, or when they had him talking, it was just the general... Um, I don't know why they do this with skeletons, but like the lips don't really move. They just kind of open their mouths and close their mouths mm -hmm. and multiple words come out around that time. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, they're constantly like hiding his face. He's slow as molasses. 
and he's incredibly dramatic. And they've everything else is done so quickly and so abruptly. And then whenever the Horn King's on screen, it's kind of like it's like it's like doing a really weird um HIIT workout where it's like and move and move and move and go and go and go and slow mm-hmm. breathe rest. Think about your inner evil. Think about how right. the owner of the oracular pig. Yes. The keeper of the oracular pig. And then, all right, all right, all right, and here we go. We're going, we're going, we're going, we're going, we're going. Yeah. And then, so Evil King shows up. They immediately bring in Henwin. Yes, they pull Henwin in, which I also have to say shows that Henwin is not a large pig. Henwin is about the size of Babe from, uh, he's like, she's like piglet size. And it takes a full, it, it takes a, a lot of effort to get her over there. She is fighting. She fight hard. She is really fighting, and I was, uh, and and our our little creeper friend here, um, is the one who's like trying to drag her over. That's where I ended up drawing like this this piece from. Yes, uh, and trying to force the pig to give a vision of where the black cauldron is. Of where the black cauldron is, they kind of like pseudo threaten the pig if they don't give the vision. But I'm like, but what is what is the actual problem here this pig is either magical and going to give you the vision or you're going to keep them tied up until they do you don't want to torture them you don't want to kill the pig well no and also you can't a pig can't talk to you You can't barter with them in that way but you know before we can find out what happens though Taryn, who's been hiding in the rafters i guess just decides it's time to appear by falling down in front of everyone and yelling oh yeah, and that's when the that's when the horned king very slowly looks at him and goes, "You are the keeper of this oracular pig." Yes, and he's like, "Well, then you make her do it." Yeah, which was apparently super easy because all he had to do was like boop her nose or something. Like it was a very quick like little hypnotization, and then well, she was doesn't like, cool. she doesn't want to do it. I think. At first, and so he, and then Tyron's like, "Well, I can't make her." He's like, "All right, then you're both useless. So uh, we're gonna kill the pig." And yeah. that's when Tyron's like, "No, no, I'll, I'll, I'll make her. I'll make her do it." And he makes her show them the cauldron. But just as they're about to show where the cauldron is, Tyron like. Does he step on the edge of the bowl or like pick oh. the edge of the? He does something and splashes the horn king, and I just want to know like how did that actually affect him? He's a skeleton. Like why was he impacted by that? I feel like he'd just be like, "Why am I wet now?" Every so yeah, everyone. Okay, okay. Couple of questions. Everyone Many freaked questions. out uh, when this water was splashing. Um, yeah. Was this holy water? And also, the king was very far away. Like, his throne was a good distance away from this, like, yeah. little vision bowl, Well, he right? came over there. Oh, he came over. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, as the vision, because, you know, she starts showing the vision, and then as he's showing it, the Horn King's coming over, like, yes. Like, the Emperor, show me. Where is it? Where is it? Ah! Yeah. And That's then, how this scene goes. You're right. I... I... I don't understand why getting splashed in the face would do anything besides go, oh. It was skeleton, right. 
And 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 then they go on a really dumb Scooby Doo chase, which ends up with them on top of like the archery tower. And you know, Taryn's idea is cool. We're both going to jump down into the moat. But instead of jumping down while like holding Henwin, he throws her. Yeah, which I takes, hope you know how to swim, pig. Yeah, which takes additional time. And in that time, they just grab and arrest him. Yeah, the full-grown adults definitely grab this malnourished 14-year-old very easily. <laughs> hey. I just chuck him in the dungeon. Yeah. When the Henwin fell such a height oh my that God. I was expecting her to just die. But it's yeah, a Disney movie. Never see her again. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, we see Taryn in the dungeon and he's mumbling and moping about how he's going to get out of the situation when someone just opens a floor tile in the stones and climbs out good old princess elanui with her random non doorknob bobble no it just kind of looks like a glow like a glowing floating pom-pom yeah it looks it looks exactly like a fairy from the legend of zelda games if you're familiar with them but much less annoying yeah it doesn't really say or do it much it just kind of floats about I don't even understand what its purpose was. No, I I have no idea either. I guess it's some kind of magical artifact. Because she goes on as they're, you know, she's like, well, come with me then. And as they're trying to find their way to the castle, she's saying, like, you know, he captured me because he wanted my bobble to show him where the thing was. So maybe he thought it was, like, a owning device? I, I don't know. This... I will say this is probably my favorite part in the movie because I was just thinking about how this is such a like fun D&D adventurer because Taryn introduces himself as an assistant pig keeper. And if this were a better movie, that would have been amazing having an assistant pig keeper having to go on this incredible fantastical journey with people that know a lot more than him about magic that could teach him, you know, this this fish out of water type of story. Mm hmm doesn't fucking happen before the like 10 minutes where Taran is uh, tied up in the dungeon, rescued by Alonwi, and then they go find their new bard friend. I, oh, I no. was like, I'm Be- all in. <laughs> before they find the bard, though, they find a burial chamber and decide that you should just wander in and explore without finding out if it's booby-trapped or cursed. No, and not only that, when Taryn sees, they find out that it's the grave of the king of the castle who built it. So, you know, not some moron, a pretty regal and important guy. And Taryn sees that the um, stone visage on top of the tomb is holding a sword. And instead of leaving it the fuck alone, because, you know, who knows? He's like, I as well just help myself. Just... Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I meant to include that in my description. Because all of that feels like a D&D adventure, too. It does, and it also lasts about 30 seconds. Yeah. They get out of there immediately. This was uh, this was another really annoying plot point that I would say didn't come up. The sword comes up a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But the fact of who the owner of the sword was, its importance, not not no. actually vital to the plot whatsoever. No, we just find out in two minutes that it's a magic sword that, and its magic is very undefined. It just kind of like anything that it hits or touches, it just solves the problem. Yeah, <laughs> it's a fix-it sword. <laughs> yeah, it's fix-it Felix's hammer in sword form. Yeah, 
And I love that Taryn discovers this and then decides the best way to celebrate is to close his eyes and swing the sword around laughing. So another thing uh, that I really noticed about this movie is I felt like it had a bunch of uh, Star Wars influences. Because yeah. this had been in production technically from 1980 to 1984. So by that point, we've had a couple of uh, Star Wars movies come out, the original ones. And that that scene of him just like wildly swinging, I'm like, you guys watched Luke Skywalker learning his Jedi powers. And we're just like, how do we do that? But with swords and poorly. <laughs> I also enjoy that when they meet uh, Fluter Flam, he threatens the jailer. By saying, I'll, I shall sing of your dastardly deed. And I wrote, that might actually be a real dire threat. Yeah. That's actually, okay, this is another interesting thing about this movie. I think this might be the only, or at least the first Disney animated film that we've come across where there's no songs. Good, because if they were as good as the movie, they'd all suck. They would suck. I think there's like a moment where, where I'm just going to call him Flim Flam Man, um, but mm-hmm. Flam, like, I think he does like a little bit of singing, but there's yeah, no actual tries. songs. Yeah. No, he tries to like sing a verse. Um, and yeah, there's no songs, which I'm very grateful for because this movie also went on for goddamn ever, in my opinion. But yeah, they just, yeah, they, with the magic sword helps them yada, yada, yada their escape. And suddenly they're, they're uh, out. And yeah. And then Ilonwe and Taryn have a very Vixie and Todd argument. Yeah. Where it's like, well, you're just a girl. And and then they suddenly make up real quickly. This is such a common thread in the Disney movies of of women being um, literally told to their faces that you are stupid because you are a woman. Yeah, this happens a lot. Because that's kind of, you know, we saw, again, not to go back to it because we just talked about it, but in The Fox and the Hound, Todd's complaint was that Vixie was just laughing with the group. You know, she wasn't laughing at, and she even apologized. She's like, I'm sorry. She was even like, I'm not laughing at you. It's like, that was just, I'm sorry. It was just really, really funny. And he's like, well, fuck you. You're just a girl. It's like, yeah, that's just the retort. And that was the retort even when we were young. I remember people being like, oh, shut up. You're just a girl. What do you know? I'm like, a lot more than fucking you. It's such a it's it's such a base insult. Like it's so based on absolutely nothing. And I was thinking of bed knobs and broomsticks, where it's the same thing of basically women can't women don't know how to do things. I don't. Yeah, trust when this will witch. women ever learn to file properly? Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's very it's very that. And again, it's just this is just deeply steeped misogyny where that is an insult, and it is. Yeah, <laughs> it's annoying. <laughs> Yeah, and it hurts her feelings, and Lonely cries. She does. She, yeah. Yeah, because she's done, you know, she's rescued this moron. Um, she's also a bit of a moron, too, because she asks him later, where'd you get that sword? It's like, from the grave you just robbed, you absolute idiot. You were right there with him. You were there. Exactly. And, uh, you know, they're sitting next to the water, and I don't remember exactly how this happens, but Gurgi ends up in the water because he's like, look at these tracks from Henwen, they end at the water and then he just decides to hop onto a stone in the water and that turns the pond into a vortex so so before we got to that point there was a quick little um scene with creeper 
Oh my god, was there? Yeah, back in the castle after the three Oh yeah! Escaped. This is when he's bringing in a crate full of dead people and an arm falls down that looks like it's Skeletor's um, army armor. Yeah, and he's like trying to also hype himself up to go talk to the king about losing a bunch of prisoners. Um, I, I actually kind of loved that scene. No, I did too. I, I love when henchmen kind of like are trying to to hype themselves up and be like okay i could be a good henchman i could be a good henchman it even happens with not henchmen we see this with uh sebastian when he's going he's like i'm gonna go tell king triton uh about 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 ariel where i'm just gonna go tell him like what's he gonna do blame me for it i can do this and then as soon as he lands in front of triton he's like hey no he just he squeaks at him yeah he's, instead of being like your majesty he's like yes yeah um this is so obviously creeper telling the horned king uh all of the prisoners escaped not didn't go over very well and this is why i want to ask the horned king is a sith right because he uses the force to choke creeper does he actually use the force or does creeper just decide to choke himself no he uh creeper looks like he is being magically choked invisibly and the king kind of has his hand up a little bit i must have been not paying attention i i'm I'm just again i'm sitting here like okay i see you guys uh took this from star wars i hear that yeah i mean but but yeah so then we get to the the gurgi being the hero of the film fucking thing yeah, he triggers a, a swirling vortex in the water, and Taryn's like, I have to rescue you. Ilonwi comes over and is like, oh my god, give me your hand, I'll pull you guys out. But they're in a swirling fucking vortex, so all that does is pull her into the water. Um, and Fluter was trying to hold her back, and he just gets pulled, and they all just die. I wish. I was literally about to say I wish. Instead, we meet more fucking people. So so at some point in this too, Gurgi says something. He says a line, Gurgi not lie, not this time. Oh yeah, that's right. I, Again, I think it was I, I just black out anything Gurgi says. I'm like, mm, whatever, you're you're talking yeah. by. Well, I did like I did make a note, like, if they had to cut a ton of this film, why did they leave in Gurgi? He seems like the least important to the lot, which is kind of funny given that he's actually the most vital character in solving the problem of this movie. <laughs> but boy does he suck <laughs> terrible character but we meet more people we meet Dolly the angriest little fairy we've ever seen <laughs> and the king and I'm telling you I was not paying attention because for now to the rest of the film I think I took 10 notes oh, I'd boy. forgotten about a lot of the scenes because I was just like oh. alright Okay. Well, this will this will be fun. The- well, I remember the thing about the because they go they they appear in the fairyland and it's very apparent that humans are not supposed to end up in the fairyland. But they they're suddenly welcome when it turns out that they're the owners of this pig that they Which had. Magically, magically, just makes it into this this Vortex. underground secretive location. Yeah. She's just there and they've just been taking care of her and everything's been good. And yeah, um, the the fairies get permission to come out and greet the humans because they want to see the pretty lady. That's such a weird theme that I've noticed in like movies where, you know, a human like a pair enters like an otherworldly place. And there's 
other creatures and they're like, ooh, can we come see the pretty girl human? Like, yeah. wouldn't you just be cu- curious about a human in general? Nope. Apparently they only care if you're you're traditionally attractive. The, the fae folk, um, I... I, I think my personal my personal headcanon is that the king of the fae folk uh, has a relationship with the handyman um, because they have this very adorable kind of old couple. Uh, they kind of do. Yeah, where the king will ask Dolly, the handyman, um, to do something. And Dolly is just wonderfully grumpy. Um, and one thing he says is... <clears throat> He complains about if knowing where the cauldron is is one of my new jobs. Yes. Um, yeah, because the king is like, oh, Dolly will go with you and show you exactly where this, this these cauldrons are. Um, and don't worry about Henwen, by the way. We'll get her home safely. Don't cool. trust what you can't verify. Don't. What? No. Don't do that. I mean, to be fair. Henwen magically jumped into the water and somehow made it to the Spay Folk land with no explanation. I mean, yeah, but like, so they're they're Tinkerbell dusting them up so they can fly with Dolly to wherever the cauldron is. And Taryn notices. He's like, hey, wait, Henwin, who we came here for, she needs to come too. And they're just like, oh, oh, don't you worry about her. We got it. What? We'll take her home. How do you know? How do you know where she lives? All of these. And how are you adequate protection from the Horn King? Because for all we know, he's still after her because he doesn't know where the cauldron is. Well, Alexia, it's a good thing that nobody cares, apparently, about any of those questions or this pig, because now Henwin is out of the rest of the movie until the very, 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 very last scene. Yes. Um, But speaking of meeting more people, they (laughs) they go, they Dolly brings them to, I don't remember what the place called, the Merrill, the Moorland, whatever. He brings them to like this foggy marsh area. And I lonely points out that there is like a shack. And they go in and the and they open the door and they're um Gurgi's like, I found the cauldron, I found the cauldron, and brings them over to a room. And I don't remember who it is, but one of them takes a look at this room, which is obviously overflowing with the cauldrons, and informs everyone else. The whole room is full of cauldrons. Yeah, it's like thanks, Captain Obvious. Yes, and I think as Ilonway goes, why would anyone want so many? I'm like, as a fucking decoy, you idiot. For people who are yeah. coming to look for the black cauldron, you moron. It, it's like it's like gathering all of the cauldrons in the land and then just tossing them into a hoarder's house. And then filling that house with frogs. Yes. Uh and we find out those frogs were all people. Yeah. And that's and that's when we meet the uh three fates. Oh, I mean the three witches. Oh, or do, I mean or when not- Orgrich. It's not the Sanderson sisters. No, not the Sanderson sisters. Absolutely not. But uh, yeah, they do show up and I can't remember which one, but she, the the voluptuous witch is immediately, here she is losing her mind over Fluter. She loves this old man bard so So much. much. So, so much that she... um, kind of very quickly enchants him and turns him into a frog and then sticks her down her sticks him down her shirt yes because that's not sexual harassment no but i will say as a as a fellow big titted witch um it is a good spot for like holding on to things 
yeah, I just wouldn't put a frog in there. I wouldn't touch a frog, but that's because I'm a very stereotypical girl and I wouldn't want to. I I might have different thoughts if that frog were my boyfriend. But Yeah, but that was I'm a one sided thing. No, it's saying it was very <laughs> I do like how they're like, well, we have the black cauldron, but we don't want to give it to you. Um, And instead, we're going to attack you with these fake black cauldrons. And that's when Torin brings out his magic sword and just slices through them all. And that's when the witches are like, hang on. We got something here. We'll trade because we're not sellers. We are barterers. This is a line that's going to come up. They're like, we don't sell. We bargain. And... Fluter offers up a song and some music, and the leader is immediately like, no. And she says, when we want music, we send for the birds. Are they? I guess we know that they're Disney princesses then. Clearly. They um, work with Aurora. Yes. I, I also want to say, um, when the witches are talking to Taryn about the sword, they tell him that he could be a great warrior with it. Mm-hmm. And... Taryn also says that the sword is his greatest possession and he's had it for like an hour. Yeah, it's been with him for, as you said, an hour. This is not like a family heirloom. No, it's not. And if he's being told you could be a great warrior with it, then don't don't hype him up. No, well, <laughs> well, I think it's because they wanted him. They want they either want the cauldron or the sword. But they devise this plot because then they're like, well, we're going to get both. Because the key here is they say we want to destroy the Black Cauldron. We don't want to use it. We want to destroy it. And they're like, great. No problem. A deal is struck, which I think is hilarious because Taryn, is it here or later on where he yells, without my sword, I'm nothing? He yells it at some point, but I don't remember when. But again, like, you didn't live most of your life with that sword. With the sword, right. (laughs) But they strike the bargain and they give him the Black Cauldron. And then, you know, the the Faustian bargain here is that the cauldron is indestructible. You can't actually destroy it. What you can do is nullify its powers. And to do that, someone has to voluntarily climb inside of it, giving their life over. Yeah. And that's the big, oh, no, but how can anybody make that sacrifice when life is just so precious? Well, they leave them with the cauldron. They do. And the way that this cauldron appeared, it it, it cracked through the earth as though it had yes, just they, been buried like five feet below. Like they conjured it from below. Yeah. Um, and... I think when they give them the cauldron, the witches kind of like do the usual old witchy laugh and then just kind of disappear and like the entire city village disappears, right? Well, because they were hanging out in a cloud in the sky and then everything, as you said, it all just kind of vanishes. And yeah, yeah they were hanging out like Mustafa in the sky. Like, exactly. Like. And then do the dragons come and steal the cauldron or? I think I think they do. What I, I did not include that in my notes because what I included was um, at some point, Dolly, who you forget that he's still there, that, that Fay folks says. Oh, this is who says people. this. He says things just never work out when you're dealing with people. And yes. And I, and I wrote, is he the most relatable character in the Black Cauldron? You might be. <laughs> yes. Because, yeah, so he fucks off. 
And they're just there. And I think, I think the dragons come back and steal the cauldron and bring it to the Horned King. Yeah, because I think you're right. Because at some point, Creeper um, is also like checking out the cauldron, getting a little bit too close for it. Um, And I think it would have been absolutely amazing if Creeper accidentally fell into the cauldron and saved the day because he wasn't trying to like summon the undead. Yeah. But unfortunately, that's not what happens. I wrote in my, I had a question in my notes that immediately got answered, which was, (laughs) do you have to keep everyone's skeletons to resurrect them? And it turns out the answer is yes. But you only have to have to like sacrifice one skeleton. You have to like feed it one skeleton and then the rest of your skeletons will be fed. But that skeleton also comes out too. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, that like starts the ritual. Maybe that like turn, like Stregonona that turns on the, the, the cooking process. Yeah, because because the Horned King literally just picks up one of the skeletons and just kind of gently places him in the cauldron. Yeah, and then now arise, and then he stands up, and then you know the classic green evil magic pours out of the cauldron and starts like affecting the other skeletons in the castle. When, because we were saying about how like the Horned King takes such a long time with everything that he does, Mm -hmm. um, when he first put in that skeleton, I was like, do you have to do this with all of them? Everyone. so that would have been hilarious. Just kind of like, okay, go into your little bath. And You've out. been baptized. <laughs> you have to start eventually getting them to help. It's like, all right, oh, come on. Send us <laughs> you, into assembly line. Sorcerer's apprentice type situation. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, our, 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 our party finally makes it to the cauldron, which is busy spewing out anger. And uh, Taran's like, I have to do it. I have to be the one that jumps into the cauldron and stops this. Well, so there's there's a does he say that when they're captured or um before because there's a scene where the they have like a very very light encounter with the horned king where the horned king like immediately shows Taryn that he is a weak ass little boy and like picks him up by his neck um to he is a Sith he is such a Sith is this now or is this earlier when they he meets Taryn for the first time. And he doesn't want to get Henwin to help. No, there's a there's another scene where they all uh, the, they all basically show up to the cauldron, see the Horned King um, about to do his giant evil plot, and then the Horned King is like, "Throw them in the dungeon," and they all get captured. Uh, but Gurgi oh, does I don't not. Remember that? Yeah. Oh yeah, because he didn't initially go with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because of self pity. Yup. I but, but then, I did yeah. not remember they got captured because they immediately get out. They do immediately get out because Gurgi Gurgi saves the day because I think I think when they're captured is when Terran is like, I have to be free. I have to be the one to sacrifice myself to the cauldron and everyone's like Yeah, that happens when they're free. I just didn't remember that they'd actually been captive at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For a, half a second, like you said. Immediately. Um and then Gurgi's the one that's like, no, I have to capture, like, I have to sacrifice myself because I don't have any friends. And then he jumps. And then he just jumps into the cauldron and Taryn just kind of watches it. And then we watch the, the magic happen. Um, well, the reversal of magic happened, kind of. The reversal, which to me was... <laughs> very easy like the horned king kind of set up the the cauldron 
set up his army and then walked away to well, no, he was... watch them. Yeah, because he creature was like creeper was like, let's get a better view. But then mm-hmm. kind of like in Bedknobs and Broomsticks, when they shoot Eglantine out of the air and all the armor falls down. After Gurgi jumps into the cauldron, all the skeletons just kind of fall right back down. And that's when they, uh, the two of them head back towards the cauldron room where they find out that the cauldron not only is not sending out, you know, evil green magic, it is now turning into a total fucking vortex of destruction and is sucking everything back in. This is uh, 15 minutes left in the movie, and this is the first uh, first time that the Horned King gets any visible red eyes. The rest of the movie, they were all black. Yes, and he uses those red eyes to focus on Terran, who is holding on to like a chain because he doesn't want to get thrown into the cauldron. I don't know what will happen at this point. I think it's kind of like the next person that goes into the cauldron, like finalizes it. I don't understand why somebody else has to go into the cauldron anymore. Like Gurgi should have done it. Like that should have been it. Yeah, I um. So my my impression of this uh was the cauldron. Like Gurgi had started the unsacrificing process, and mm-hmm. then the cauldron was just like sucking back all of the life force that it had given the undead. Maybe. And for some reason, the Lich King was included in that. Poll well, as and- was Terran, like everyone was. Yeah. And, the- you know, the Horn King tries to like shake Terran off so that he gets pulled in, but surprise, surprise he gets sucked in and it takes like 20 seconds we get we get a raiders of the lost ark situation here (laughs) where as the horned king is getting sucked into uh the cauldron um the very thin amount of flesh and the surprising amount of muscle yeah (laughs) on his body get kind of scraped away and then he gets like he gets pulled apart by a stationary object so that was kind of cool yeah it was kind of interesting yeah also, apparently this was a load-bearing cauldron because as soon as um, everyone got sucked in, it overheats and brings down the entire castle. Yeah, it's true. Uh, so they all have to like run for their lives and they make it outside and it's like, hooray. They, ooh, before they make it completely outside, they find a boat by the moat. Oh my god, I forgot. How very convenient that this boat just happened to be there and nobody else was escaping into it. Um, But of course there's a gate and the gate is locked and it's very easily unlocked. Yeah. It's like a conflict for four seconds. Yeah. I I mentioned that because I was very upset that this conflict was still there. (laughs) And yeah. And they move fucking slowly with that boat. Like they are slowly pushing the boat forward and during this entire time, everyone keeps saying, hurry, hurry, we have to get out of here. While moving incredibly slow. Yeah. It's very weird. It was so strange. And I think the, the castle collapses in on itself, leaving the only living creature, which is apparently Creeper, who got a promotion, I guess. His boss retired. Yeah, it seems to be. Yeah. Oh, and the cauldron somehow. Yeah, and the cauldron. Oh, the cauldron is floating in the water. Yes, and it summons back the witches. It summons back the witches who are like, good job. Thanks for doing that. That was that was pretty cool. And then they offer to trade uh, back again because they want the cauldron again. Even though I'm like, why? why? 
And they were like, we'll give you your sword back. Ooh. Yeah. But of course, Taryn is like, sure, that sword that was literally the purpose of my entire life for five minutes would be a pretty good prize. But mm-hmm. um, what about Gurgi? Yeah, the most annoying thing I've ever met in my life. Could you bring that back? Yeah, I can't I can't live my life without Gurgi. You have to bring him back. You have to. And, and the like, witches do. <laughs> fine. Yeah, they do. They're yeah. like, fine, we'll take the death cauldron and you can have this obnoxious sentient mop. Which does that just negate what the cauldron did because he sacrificed himself and now he's no longer sacrificed. Apparently not, because they all just decide we're gonna go home and live happily ever after together. And this is where the movie literally ends with our main party walking off into the sunset like some type of dumbass freeze frame with a bad from a bad sitcom. Yep. And we zoom out and we find that Henwin and Dalvin have been and Dolly are all watching this happen through Henwen's vision. And they just go cool. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. That's that's the end of the film. I say we just let this dead air sit because that's how I felt after that. <laughs> well, let me ask the magic question then. Uh did you like it and do you recommend it? <laughs> and now for the surprise twist. Um I actually do recommend this film based purely, purely on the behind the scenes drama uh, and having that information. I think it's it's kind of worth watching what a mess this film is. Um, but I, I, I am 50-50 in liking it. Uh, there's little elements that I liked about it. Uh, the concept, cute. Uh, I could see this working. Um, there's a lot of things about this movie that I wish had been 100% reworked and not by Jerry Katzenberg. There. But if you are watching this in a sober state and feel mm-hmm. like I want to put on a Disney movie, no, then I don't recommend it. No, not a shot. Uh, but what about what about you? I'm going to be very surprised by your answers. I don't like it and I don't recommend it. I think it's really boring. I don't find there to be very many moments that I don't find there to be any moment where I'm kind of like, yeah, that might be a scene worth watching or yeah, that was an interesting plot point or that was an interesting technique. There was nothing interesting about this movie. It was boring and disjointed. All of the voice actors were like, not maybe not all of them, but like the Taryn and Ilonwi's voice actors were ridiculously weird and gave strange performances. Right. It was just like, yeah, it was just such a weird, I didn't like it. it. There's nothing to like about it. And I'm not sorry. I mean, Disney agrees with you. There's nothing to like about it. That's why they took so long to to release it. <laughs> Don't blame them. Well, I think that your attitude may change a little bit with next week's movie, where we're going to be talking The Great Mouse Detective. I love this movie. It's one, it was, This was one of my favorites when I was young. This is one that I owned. I loved it. I watched it a lot. I thought it was a lot of fun. I, the last time I remember watching it as an adult, it st- it held up really well. The just the name uh, Basil, like or Basil. I only Basil ever think of Basil. Great Mouse Detective because of it. Because I also truly love this movie as a kid. Yeah, I, I, anyone that's named Basil or Basil is just a Baker Street. <clears throat> yeah, or a Faulty, a Basil Faulty from Faulty Towers. But that's a I haven't seen Faulty Towers. 
oh, well, don't worry about it. You're only like 50 years too late. Thank you. I'm excited about that. Yeah, listen what? to our next uh, our next series where we talk about uh, British TV shows that Alexia never watched and will probably get very annoyed. <laughs> I might. I just, ugh. this movie was just so fucking boring. Did it encourage you to read any of the books? No. I, yeah, I think it had a negative effect on me too, where I'm like, I don't want to read any of the source material. No. It, it, it. Why? <laughs> why? Just. Why? Listeners, that is, that is our question to you. Why? Why? So long, Glamour Boys. So long, Glamour Boys. Damsels Who Discuss is created and produced by Crow's Nest's podcast. Your hosts are Gally Articola and Alexia Thurumalai. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash damselswhodiscuss, all one word. On Instagram at instagram.com slash damselswhodiscuss, all one word again. And on Twitter at twitter.com slash damselswhodisco, because Twitter has a character limit. Or you can also email us at damselswhodiscuss at gmail.com. So long, Glamour Boys! So long, Glamour Boys! (laughs) 